Welcome to the Business Design Podcast, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs design and build businesses that succeed on their own, even if you take a six-month vacation. We're your hosts, Ian, John, and Scott, and we're here to share the successes and pitfalls of many entrepreneurs like you and equip you to make daily progress in your business. We are joined today with Ryan Carson. He's from Treehouse, and we've been using Treehouse at Pro Trainings actually for the past year or so to train our Ruby on Rails developers to get them up to speed. So it's really cool to have the opportunity to actually talk to the man who's behind all of this. So welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks, guys. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate it. So your current startup is Treehouse, and it's doing extremely well, but you actually made a little bit of a name for yourself before you started the company. Could you give our listeners just a little bit of a recap of how you got to the point where you are and some of the other companies that you built and sold along the way to getting here? Yeah, sure. So uh, I am 36, so old enough to have, you know, sort of started and failed at a couple companies now. So um, my Treehouse is technically my fourth company. And um, my first one, I was a web developer. So my first company was just me building a product. And that one actually failed. And, and I learned a lot of lessons about uh, pricing and sales in, in that company. Just kind of, I priced the product way too high and had to go out and try to sell it. And I, you know, I wasn't prepared for that. So that was a fun lesson to learn. So, and then the second business was, it was actually a business where we, we did conferences and workshops, and the goal there was to train people and say, hey, you know, if you want to be a web designer, web developer, you know, you can come to this conference and learn. And you can also meet other people and get inspired and connected. And, and that business was a lot of fun. You know, we, we started, we eventually did events around the world and, and met amazing speakers, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg and Evan Williams from Twitter and and Kevin Rose and all this kind of stuff. But I, I really wanted to be able to reach more people at a more affordable price. You know, I wanted to, to really make an impact in the world and do something that really, really thought mattered. And I really, really love the idea of teaching people and giving them something that allowed them to change their life. But we just wanted to do it at a more affordable price. So we thought, well, hey, well, you know, why don't we hire some teachers and film it and then just charge people 25 bucks a month to watch the videos online. And that was the beginning of Treehouse. Uh, and that was in 2010. And thankfully we've grown and we're up to about 70 people now and have over 55,000 students around the world. So oh, wow. it's been a fun ride. Yeah. Oh, that's great. How do you feel like your experiences with those other businesses prepared you for Treehouse? Do you feel like that was good practice, I'd say, or um, just some of the things that you learned along the way? Yeah, definitely. I um, Everything I do, I, I, you know, I look back and think, gosh, you know, I didn't know very much before. And then <laughs> I get to the next <laughs> stage and you go, gosh, I, I didn't know very much before. <laughs> and I have a feeling I'm going to die. The day before I die, I'll be like, boy, I didn't know very much yesterday. <laughs> and uh, so I think that that'll continue. And the biggest thing I've learned, though, is that nobody knows what they're doing. And nobody started something big and knew how they were going to get there. And, you know, I, I often was intimidated in the beginning by, you know, amazing entrepreneurs, you know, like a, a Mark Zuckerberg or a Steve Jobs or... Evan Williams or whoever. And then 
you know, I, I started to meet a couple of those people and then I just realized that, gosh, they don't, they really don't know mm-hmm. what the right answer is, you know, and they didn't know that they were going to succeed. And it kind of levels the playing field, you know, and I realized, Hey, anything's possible. And I just got to go and start trying to figure it out. And then maybe I'll be one of those folks that succeed. So that's been the biggest thing that I've learned. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I think it's really easy to look at people who are successful and say, oh, they must have it all together. They just, they knew what to do. I couldn't do that. But I don't think that is true. It's amazing even for myself to see how much I've learned over the years that, wow, I made a lot of mistakes at the beginning, but we're still around. (laughs) Yeah. And one of the things I say to my son, because I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, I say a lot is it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, and even even this morning, I mean, we were joking about this before we started this interview. Today it was a hard day at Treehouse. I sent out an email that I regret sending out, and basically, mm-hmm. I had to you know backpedal and apologize and and really try to tell everybody that we were sorry. And and I was sitting at the breakfast table, you know, sweating and feeling like I was going to throw up. Yeah. And uh, I said to my son, I was like you know what, daddy made a mistake today and it's okay to make mistakes. Um, Cause I don't want, I don't want him to grow up thinking, you know, he's got to have it figured out. He's got to be perfect. Yeah. And if you don't make mistakes, I feel like you're probably not taking enough risks. I I know I found that for myself. If I'm trying to play it safe, then you're not going to hit it big. No, no, but they're still not very fun though, are they? No, it sure isn't. One of the things that you said, just talking about meeting people through the conference business, and I've heard you say this on other podcasts too, just the importance of getting out there, meeting people, um, talking to people. Now, when you were running that conference business, you were doing that from the UK, right? Yeah. Yeah. And crazy enough, a small town called Bath. Yeah. Right. Do you have any suggestions for people? Like we're in Michigan, for example, for someone who's not in a big tech hub where you have all these people around you all the time, any suggestions for meeting people and for for getting out there? Yeah, definitely. I think that going to conferences and, you know, having a beer or a tea or a coffee, you know, or a meal with someone is, has been the most powerful way that I've made connection. And I think I, I leverage that even more by actually starting to run those events myself. So mm-hmm. what I found happened is I was able to do a conference and invite one big name speaker. And as soon as I got that one big name speaker, it, it, everybody else kind of, you know, flew in, you know, it was, and it, for me, it was the very first conference was we got a speaker named David Hennemeyer Hampton, oh, who wow. is the creator. Yeah. The creator of rail. And, miraculously he said yeah and you know i was just some nobody that <laughs> that you know saying please come and speak you know at our, at our event and we're not going to charge much money you know we're, this is really about uniting the community and and it was that was the point of the event and as soon as he said yes then it just connected me to him and and then to his friends and and kind of this cascade effect that it's almost like a i didn't know this was the case but it's almost like a psychological trick if, if you get on stage with someone that's famous people associate you with them hmm. um and then all of a sudden you you have these doors open to you that just weren't open before you know people respond to your emails stuff happens so I, I always say to people what worked for me was you know doing an event in the, in the vertical 
that I was doing business in and, uh, you know, becoming a connector. That's been very effective for me. And I didn't know that was going to work. I just was lucky enough to do that by mistake. So. Now, one thing is that, that I've noticed about you is that you've always been very pro bootstrapping, um, especially with your companies before Treehouse. Those were all bootstrapped. And even Treehouse, I believe, was bootstrapped at the beginning. Is that right? Yeah. So we just used capital from profit from our event business to fund it. So, yeah, we were completely bootstrapped. You know, we got to profitability uh, with zero outside investment. And then I changed my tune. <laughs> Um, basically, uh, I, sh- I showed uh, Treehouse, which actually had a, a different name back then. We rebranded. I showed it to a friend, and he, uh, his name was Kevin Rose, and he did this big site called Dig, and he was becoming well-known and, and, and pretty wealthy as well. And, and I showed it to him, and he said, wow, this is awesome. And he said, I want to put $50,000 into this. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, okay. Well, that's, that's crazy. All right. Well, hmm, let me think about that. And then, um, and he said, you know, and I'll, I'll help you put together a, a group of angel investors. And I, I could tell I was at a fork in the road with my career and with Treehouse. And I felt like, hey, we will probably be able to build a successful, profitable, amazing business without taking out that money. But we might be doing something that happens to be at the right moment in history to truly change the world mm-hmm. at a very big level at a very big scale. So let's, you know, if, if we take this money, we could probably get there faster. So maybe we should do it. And um, I think we decided because it could be, you know, we're lucky enough to be involved in this and it could be, world changing that it was worth taking investment and, and kind of learning about that and understanding how to do it. And, and, uh, and it, at that point, as soon as we decided to do it, it was like getting on, you know, a bucking Bronco. <laughs> it was just this kind of wild, you know, intense ride. And, and I'm very glad we did it looking back, you know, because it pushed me really hard. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you're playing basketball, and all of a sudden, a crowd is around you and they're watching you. You know, you just have to perform better, be faster. You know, there's more pressure. And thankfully, that, that has really, you know, pushed me a lot harder as an entrepreneur. And now we've raised around $13 million total. And, you know, now we can move a lot faster and we can hire quicker and we worry less about cash flow. You know, it's still very important and we still want to build a profitable business. but we're able to, you know, hire more people than, than cash flow allows right now because of that. So that's been kind of the journey. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the other things that I've always thought about venture capital is the connections that it brings you and the expertise of the people mm-hmm. who are investing. Could you talk a little bit about the value of having people who are very, very well connected, advising your company and being part of that investor board? Yeah, so I, I've noticed that there's definitely different types of investors. And there's good and bad and there's connected and not connected. And we were lucky to get our biggest investor is called social capital. And it's really one guy. His name is Chamath Palahapatia. Mm-hmm. And, and he is a wonderful investor because he is extremely passionate about what we're doing. He's very connected and he is very aggressive. And so 
he's wonderful to have in the company because he really pushes you hard and actually contributes value. You know, so he connects us to super important people all the time. Says, hey, I think you should talk to this person. You know, here's an email introduction. Go. Or, hey, you know, I've got this idea. You know, let's make it happen. And then there's unfortunately some investors that just they just don't work hard. You know, they don't take care of you. They don't put in the time. And that usually happens when they don't put in enough money to care. Okay. So the big thing I learned is every venture round, you will typically give away 20% of the company. Mm-hmm. So really, most venture capitalists want 20% of your company or more. And if they don't get that, they're just not going to put in the time. So the mistake I made was getting a bunch of investors. You know, we got one big one and then a bunch of small ones. And basically the small ones, except for, you know, one or two, just add zero value, mm-hmm. you know, so you've effectively given away part of your company for nothing. So that's the lesson I learned. I guess before you raised capital, you, you hadn't done that before. Where did you go to learn about that? Was it reading books? Was it talking to people? I guess, how, how do you yeah, really just, make sure I you did. don't get burned? <laughs> I just read a book and uh, it was, it was an amazing book. It was by Brad Feld and it was called how to be smarter than your venture capitalist and lawyer. And uh, it's just so good. You know, I learned everything I needed to know, you know, and then I did a, a ton of kind of Googling around and, and stuff, but that book was very, very valuable. One thing that I'm curious about as far as being bootstrapped before and then deciding to take money and building a company that way. Do you think that the, I guess, the discipline maybe of being bootstrapped has changed the way that you built this company versus somebody who's maybe taking VC for the first time and trying to build something? Yeah, definitely. I think it's so much better to have a grounding, you know, and how to get to profitability before you do that. So mm-hmm. that's been, that's been absolutely helpful. And, and if anything, it's kind of frustrated our investors <laughs> that we are, you know, trying quite hard to be profitable. You know, they, they often want you to push and get as big as possible, as, as quick as possible, which means burning a lot of cash because, you know, they, they invest in money in you and they want to see that capital put to use. You know, it doesn't do them any good if you just leave it in the bank. But I'm very thankful that, you know, I, I know how to get a business profitability and, and that's our goal. So, yeah, it, you know, and, Getting Treehouse to profitability before we raised money was really key in getting a, a good valuation. You know, we were profitable, didn't need the money, and therefore it was much easier to negotiate, you know, the first couple rounds of capital. I think that's a really cool story, especially these days, to hear about a company that, that was successfully bootstrapped and profitable before jumping into the... I, I, I really admire that. Thanks. Yeah, that was turned out to be a real key strategy for us. And it means that, you know, the truth of it is that I own personally a lot more of the company now because of that, you know, because I was much less diluted in the earlier round, which is when founders really get killed. You know, yeah. usually. I have one other question for you just about the whole venture capital thing. Um, so you have some kind of, I'd say, unconventional workplace practices for day work weeks, no managers, things like that. What do your investors think of those types of things? Have you gotten any pushback from them on that? And how do you address that? Thankfully, zero pushback. And, okay. and it's, it's back to the reason that we talked about before, which is we're a profitable, successful company before we raise money. 
And thankfully, we've continued to grow even after we took the money. So what I've learned is that investors basically don't care mm-hmm. you know, if you wear a banana suit to work. <laughs> as long as you're growing, it doesn't matter. So I, I think that's the takeaway. Now, clearly, if, if our growth slows down, you know, they'll start asking some pretty hard questions. Yeah. But thankfully, you know, and in part, I think because of our unconventional practices, we are growing very fast. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, plus, plus, you know, these folks are all smart. They know that in most companies, you know, middle management kills all the morale, mm-hmm. slows everything down. And if they could get rid of it, they would. So we're just one of the few companies that was naive or brave, one of the two, you know, enough to actually do it. Wow. So you talked I mean, you talked a little bit about being involved in, in pitching and selling and you've done this, you know, a lot <laughs> ever since, you know, the, the way back in the drop send days. I was actually a big drop send uh, fan. <laughs> way back. Oh, way back. nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, love drop send. Um, how would you say that, I mean, would you say that selling your own ideas for products and, and businesses, you know, your, your entrepreneurial pursuits, talk a little bit about selling those things. And has that always come natural to you or is that something that, you've you've sort of worked out to develop over time well yeah i i'm very bad at kind of traditional sales and the reason why is because i hate upsetting people um you know, i just have kind of a, a thin skin when it comes to that hmm. um and so you know basic you know normal sales where you go out and you get rejected you know 95 percent of the time I, I find really hard personally but thankfully i really enjoy marketing you know, just, hey, how do I speak to someone that is in a way that's interesting to them, you know, that, that helps them, that, you know, that makes them want to act. And I find it fascinating, you know. So marketing is always one of those things that, thankfully, I naturally am interested in what makes other people tick. How do I help them? How do I please them? Which means marketing, especially in today's age of social media, you know, much easier. A book that I read recently that I thought was brilliant and that really captures a lot of the way I look at marketing was Gary Vaynerchuk's new book, um, Jab, 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 Right Hook. And uh, I would highly recommend it. It's just packed with, you know, really, really good case studies about how to actually do marketing today, you know, in, in a world of social media. And I thought I knew a lot. And then I read that book. I was like, wow, I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And, you know, for instance, we pay uh, to boost posts on Facebook. That's one of our the ways we spend money. And we changed our strategy based off of, you know, what, what we learned in that book. And we saw like a 10x improvement wow. on our, our effectiveness on those ads. It was crazy. Wow. That's great. I wonder if that's something that's specific to web entrepreneurs in terms of a challenge, just because if you're, if you're around and you're immersed in it all the time, you know, it's, it's sometimes maybe easy to forget that the act of selling is painful sometimes. Do you think that's, that's something that is especially difficult for web entrepreneurs? Yeah, totally. Because you're just disconnected from, you know, real people, like it, physical interaction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of those reasons why today when, you know, I, I screwed up on email and upset a bunch of people was was so was such a good learning experience for me because you just have to interact on a very personal level, you know, email to email, one-to-one. And instead of this, like, hey, here's a website and you never see people, you know, coming to it and rejecting it. And I think you're right. Yeah, there's, 
is the detachment from reality. And one of the things that always has worked well for me as a CEO is, is really kind of quote unquote, getting out of the building and, and interacting as closely as I can with our students. Mm. Whenever I can, I email them, I, you know, tweet with them, I talk to them, I meet them, you know, just to bring it back to reality. Like, Hey, these are real people, you know, and they all have real things going on in their life. And, uh, that's always been both rewarding and valuable. It's really amazing to hear real stories from people's lives that were touching, and it definitely you know, keeps me going. I'd love to talk a little bit more about marketing, actually. Um, we do a lot of Google AdWords. We've been doing that since the beginning of our company. And I know I've seen you do AdWords, you do YouTube advertising, you mentioned Facebook. What are some of the, I guess, the channels that you're finding work the best for your type of business? We are finding, you know, YouTube is really great, mm-hmm. um, you know, just because it's kind of native to what we're doing, we're teaching, and we're about to do a bunch of new YouTube ads. So that's always been good. Um, we haven't found any kind of, you know, magic bolt. I mm-hmm. think, I think that's one of the things that we're learning actually about marketing is that there is no kind of secret it basically for us has been experiment after experiment after experiment you know and it never ends and as soon as we find a a marketing channel that appears to be scalable it scales and then it then it declines Mm -hmm. so you got to go find new ones you know and you got to change and adapt and and it's exciting but also kind of it wears you down slowly and you know we're trying to spend as much money as we can Mm-hmm. on marketing and you know what we find is that actually sometimes it's hard to spend enough money because you're trying to find the channel that scales and adwords supposedly would be the perfect channel for that because it's infinitely scalable almost but the trick is hey how do you get a cpa that is profitable and if you're paying essentially you know a thousand dollars for a conversion and you're only getting five hundred dollars of lifetime value obviously it just doesn't work. So beyond Gary Vaynerchuk's new book and what he says, it just appears to be really no right answer to any of that, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, no, I feel like it's very different for different businesses too. Like we've been very successful with AdWords for our business, but then I've actually tried doing some AdWords marketing for other businesses and it doesn't work the same. You feel like you must just be missing something. It, this, this always works. Um, but that's weird. something that yeah. you just learn. One of the things that... That I know we've struggled with too is just attribution, especially as we're doing so many different types yeah. of advertising. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, what you've maybe learned or things you've struggled with? Yeah, that is absolutely the hard part for us. It's, it, you know, okay, gosh, you know, we're spending on YouTube, AdWords, you know, display, social, and our students, you know, are touching all of those. You know, so yeah, how do we do attribution? I, I think the way we're going to do it is basically a blended model. Mm-hmm. So we'll give something like 20% of the attribution to the first click, 20% to the last click, and then 60% to the, all the clicks in between. Because for a while we thought, you know, YouTube is just a, is, is like this, you know, black hole of money that we were pouring money into. And it apparently, you know, it was, it was very expensive to get a conversion. And, and then, we turned it off and then all of a sudden we saw a big hit in our signups and 
I think we realized, oh, okay, we're just not doing attribution correctly. Yeah. So the new blended model should give us, you know, at least kind of a better average view on what's working, what's not. So I had some more questions too, just about about video. Um, did you have any experience doing video production before this, or is that something that was brand new for you when you started this company? I had zero experience. I mean, it, it's almost funny how little I knew about it. So um, <laughs> it's basically been something we just learned. We hired good folks to start taking care of that, and now and now we are effectively a professional production. TV environment. It's pretty insane. You know, I'm walking through our studio right now. It's like being on a movie set. It's crazy. Wow. Um, so again, that's kind of a great example of, hey, nobody starts and knows what they're doing. You know, <laughs> so, so I think it can be figured out. Any tips for someone else who's, I guess, doing video and trying to figure out how to really make that work as far as, you know, hosting as far as production as far as things that i guess even the content what what engages people what what gets people coming back i would say like you know as far as hosting most folks can just use youtube initially i don't know if technically you're supposed to do that but youtube doesn't seem to you know mind some of our competitors like udacity are on Mm -hmm. youtube and they're clearly a you know a for-profit company so so you could just, you know, not worry about your hosting infrastructure at all initially. The second thing is, you know, just a couple good quality lights and a little bit of, you know, money spent on a set will really go a long way. And then thirdly, you know, probably just hiring a freelance audiovisual person to help you with that first kind of bit is, is pretty key. So that, that's kind of the, the basic stuff. You know, we're definitely learning that the shorter the videos, the more engaged people are because their attention spans are short. So that, that's been one thing we've learned. And then as far as the actors, the people who are teaching the content, now I know several of them are on staff. Do you also hire people to just come in and, and teach a course and do some type of a royalty structure with them? Or is it strictly in-house people? We have both in-house and uh, guest teachers. Okay. And we just pay our guests. Our, our guest teachers just straight up, you know, like a project. Okay. And that seemed to work pretty, pretty well for us because, you know, we, we definitely need in-house teachers. We want a real core set of teachers who we can rely on that, you know, set the tone for our curriculum. And, but we also want to scale quickly. So that's why we're adding more guest teachers. Makes sense. And then I had a question too, just about as far as the, the revenue model for Treehouse, it's, it's subscription. So you're really counting on people signing up and then sticking with it for a while. And I'm yep. wondering, I mean, I can, I can definitely see that for businesses. How does that actually end up playing out for individuals? Do people tend to stick with it or do they learn a skill and then cancel their subscription in three, four, five months? You know, it really varies. But what we're seeing is really obvious things like emailing our students really helps keep them engaged. And that seems kind of obvious, but we weren't really doing that for a long time. Because we kind of thought, oh, people don't want to be bothered. And the truth is, people like to hear from you. Um, they, they want to be engaged, you know. So that, that was a big key for us. And as far as our lifetime value for the students goes, we, we want to get to the point where actually you're a lifetime learner with Treehouse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you pause occasionally and then you come back and you keep learning. Because, as you know, that's kind of the nature of what we're teaching. You always have to stay up to date. 
Yeah. So that, that's our hope. Yeah, and it, it seems like you continually are adding new content now. Um, just got some emails about WordPress training, and I mean, you're going into a lot of different areas where hopefully it becomes something that people just sign up for and then stick with it. Totally, yeah. And and the truth is, you know, we wish we could release like a course a day. I mean, you know, really, we're releasing a course a week, which we are still very happy with. But yeah, there's so much. That's content, impressive. You know, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, yeah, that really it's is not shocking, <laughs> but you know, and. We're getting there. We would like to do even more, but that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. I'm kind of curious. I, With being a technology company that's teaching other people how to program and how to use technology, what's Treehouse actually built on? It's primarily the Ruby on Rails stack. Okay. So, um, you know, we have some kind of crazy stuff under the hood occasionally. Mm -hmm. uh, like the code challenge engine is super advanced and technical yeah. and I don't even pretend to understand. How it works. <laughs> um, but we decided to go with actually basically putting our own hardware. We used to be on Amazon and we actually okay. moved off Amazon because it was actually starting to get kind of slow. And, and mm. what we found with that is you actually have to pay a lot of money in Amazon to get the same kind of performance you would see on your own dedicated hardware. Mm -hmm. So we're up to something like 23 servers now. Oh, wow. And we're at a company called Blue Box okay. for hosting. So, yeah, I, that's, that's the basic structure. I'd like to talk a little bit. We, we had mentioned it before with the, the four-day work week. Um, I think Ian had some more questions about that, actually, that he wanted to dig into. Yeah, I did. I, you know, it's funny because there's some similarities in the kinds of businesses that we've started, kind of why we've gotten into entrepreneurship. And when I say we, I mean Scott and John and I, and it's, you know, it's kind of been a lifestyle thing for us. You know, we've also obviously done it, you know, chosen to do it somewhere other than sort of the commonplace, uh, you know, Silicon Valley to do it because, you know, we, we really, we care a lot about balance and that sort of thing. And obviously you guys moving to the four day work week, you're sending that message loud and clear. And I've heard, I've heard you talk a little bit about that in terms of balance and stuff. And we have families, we have wives and kids, all three of us as well. So I just was curious, do you have, do you have suggestions or, or things that you learned specifically about balance and, and being an entrepreneur and bootstrapping outside of the tech industry and, and trying to be balanced when it comes to your work and life? Yeah, a lot of this started when I had kids. So, you know, I really realized that they were going to grow up real fast. Um, yeah. So the primary way that I look at work-life balance now is, you know, the, the stage where my kids, you know, want to hug me and kiss me and talk to me is going to end at some point. So I'm, I'm really just protective of that, you know. And the, the main thing that I think the, the trigger point that has, I've always fallen back to is that you know, no matter how much I work, it will never stop. And I think I realized that, hey, you know, I, I could work, you know, Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays and the work won't ever go away. You know, in fact, I'll just create more work. So, you know, what do I really want to happen with my life? And I think I, I decided, you know, you, you could have a successful company, you know, and, and be efficient and, and just work a little bit less. And so far, you know, that experiment has, has proven to be true. You know, we're seeing, we're seeing that work, you know, at, at Treehouse. And it's hard to know. It's hard to measure that. You know, we don't really know the actual effect of it. 
but it appears to be that, you know, everyone is, is a lot happier. Mm. That's really big. Yeah. I certainly think it resonates for us. Um, that's something that we're learning too. I guess uh, sort of in that, in a similar vein of <laughs> balance and, and prioritization, I've heard you talk a little bit about before in, in other sort of interviews about, you know, doing things that matter and, and spending your time on things that make a difference. And clearly that's a big reason, you know, why you got into teaching and helping people be lifetime learners. Are there, just curious, are there other things that you would like to do outside of work, uh, sort of in the vein of changing the world and, and doing other things that matter, things that you sort of aspire to do uh, beyond Treehouse and, and those things? Yeah, I mean, the Treehouse is definitely going to be taking up kind of all my attention, you know, for a long, long time. So it's hard for me to even think about that. But I have had just kind of fun daydreams about eventually trying to fund and create a free hospital. I saw a friend of ours basically go bankrupt because she had to go to um, the emergency room for seven days. Wow. And it just ruined her financially. And I thought, ah, gosh, this should be happening. You know, and I lived in the UK for 12 years and they have free healthcare there and it, and it works. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, I bet it's possible somehow to create a hospital where you could go for free and it, it wouldn't be for wealthy people. You know, it wouldn't be for the poorest of poor who are taken care of by the government. It'd be for this kind of strange middle ground where people are just getting screwed because they don't quite fit in to healthcare coverage. So that, that's something if I could, you know, I would love to try to figure out, but that's, that's going to be like 20 years from now. So <laughs> yeah, that's just such a cool idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. Yeah. You should run for office. <laughs> yeah. No, I, well, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> That's great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. It's, it's good to hear those things, too. No problem. Yeah. Were there any other big takeaways that you feel like things that have influenced you from living in the UK, just cultural things that maybe you hadn't experienced in the US or things you hadn't really thought about that you feel like have shaped kind of the way that you are now and the, the way you build stuff? Yeah. You know, the biggest thing that living outside the States did for me is just teach me that America is not the center of the universe. You know, I thought I, I was worldly and, you know, open-minded, but I, I just wasn't, you know, because it's impossible to really understand until you actually live somewhere else. And, you know, I realized, you know, a lot of people don't like America. They don't like Americans. And I just, oh, wow, you know, yeah, okay. So not everybody wants what we have and learning to kind of respect other cultures and religions and other points of view was pretty impactful, you know, to, to get personal. I, I, I was raised in a strong Christian environment and I was a very big, very big part of my life for until I was, you know, probably 25 and moving abroad changed my point of view fundamentally on all that, you know, and I don't think that's good or bad. It just is, you know, and, and now I, I wouldn't call myself a Christian and, and which is weird to me, you know, but that's kind of what moving abroad did to me. So, and, and ultimately, you know, I, I feel like I'm in a interestingly kind of in a happier place now and not because I was sad before, but I just feel more like I'm able to kind of feel like I'm cohesive and I, and it makes sense to me now. But uh, at the same time, the UK is, 
is kind of a tough place. You know, it's a little more cynical. I found it almost kind of anti-Christian in a way. And that was hard coming from that environment. So, um, and then there's some lot, some really fun things. Like I got to go to Paris and, and Amsterdam and, and Rome and, and Italy. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing to be able to experience all that. But you just, it's just so hard to do when you live in America because it's so far away. So, but having said all that, I am thankful to be back in the U.S. You know, (laughs) there's so many things about America that are wonderful. And I think it's the optimism of America that I miss. And I, I really love that. Yeah, I think one thing that is interesting to me, we have uh, one of our business partners lives in the UK and runs that side of our company. And one of the things that he says so frequently is just that Americans seem to have a lot more of an entrepreneurial spirit that he really doesn't, at least in in the UK, that he really didn't feel like that's something that's valuable, that there's a lot of entitlement. I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, but that's something that seemed overwhelming to him. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer that like people are just less optimistic and and it was kind of frustrating, you know, that they, they, they kind of have the old class system over there and people kind of feel like they shouldn't reach out outside their class, you know, and it, which is crazy to me. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's a pretty ingrained thing. Well, it looks like we're running out of time here, but um, gosh, there's still so many other things that we could talk about. Um, yeah, thanks you have, for your time, you guys. Yeah, thank fun. you so much. This was wonderful, thank Ryan. You. If any of your listeners out there, you know, are, are, have any questions for me or want me to share any experiences, happy to do that. You know, you, you can just email me at ryan at teamtreehouse.com. Wonderful. And then people can follow you on Twitter too. I think you're, is it Ryan Carson? Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Just that Ryan Carson. So. Ryan Carson. Perfect. Um, yeah. No, so thanks guys. And I think it's awesome what you're doing, you know, sharing knowledge and getting it out there. And I really appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah. We really appreciate Treehouse. It's been great for our company and it's, it's a cool vision. I mean, you really, I think can change the world with it. So best of luck. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Idea. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Have a great night, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, take care, guys. All right. right. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For a complete transcript of this episode or to find previous episodes, visit our website at businessdesignpodcast.com. Have a question or comment? Email us at questions at businessdesignpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for Business Design Podcast. And follow us on Twitter for updates between episodes. 